Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. It's weekend recap time, and my God, do we have a packed episode for you. Joan Laporta looking good for Barcelona President Rangers win the Scottish Premiership. Manchester United beat Man City. A good week for Barcelona as the Madrid derby ends in a draw. Juventus beat Lazio. So much more, including Bayern Munich defeating Borussia Dortmund in their classicer. We got Jimmy Conrad. We got Heath Pierce. Weekend recap begins right now. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Kego Lasso Weekend Recap. And my goodness, what a recap we have in store for you. With me, of course, Jimmy Conrad. Jimmy C, what's up, man? What is up? I'm excited to get into this. Let's get going. Absolutely. HP, Heath Beers, how are you, my brother? I'm good. I'm glad how you prefaced how great this recap is going to be. I like that. Setting the bar high for everyone. I looked into the crystal ball and I know already it's going to be amazing, but there's a lot to talk about, everybody. We're going to try and keep it lean and mean for you. A lot to discuss. Let's begin, boys, with uh, Rangers. Rangers winning uh, the Scottish Premiership for the first time in 10 years after Celtic failing to beat Dundee United. It's a world record tally, by the way, 55 titles, one more than Northern Ireland's Linfield unbeaten in the league with six games left uh, Rangers. And really it's, it's an amazing story. The club's last league title was in 2011, but everything fell apart due to financial turmoil. And we're in Scotland's bottom tier after going into administration. They returned to the top league uh, five years ago to the top flight. Steven Jarrett, of course, took over in 2018 and now they are champions. Jimmy Conrad Rangers. Demarcus Beasley is happy. We know that much. Uh, how do you feel about this? Yeah, and so is Marisa Du and Carlos Bocanegra and Claudio Reyna. A lot of Americans going through uh, Rangers. Yeah, I'm excited for Steven Gerrard in particular. I think there were a lot of question marks as to whether he was going to be a good manager. We've seen a lot of top players play and then try to get into coaching. Diego Armando Maradona being one of them. It just really never clicked as a manager, but Steven Gerrard seems to have figured it out. And what I'm really impressed about is just how good they are on both sides of the ball. It's not like they're just one-sided. They're just good at scoring goals. They're just good at defending. He's got them playing pretty well on both sides, and that's pretty impressive. And I wonder now how long he's going to stay at Rangers because he's going to be in demand a little bit, and he's going to want that that experience in the Premier League. And now with Liverpool struggling, not to say they're going to get rid of Jurgen Klopp. Obviously, this was a pretty crazy year for them, but – but you have to wonder at some point, Jurgen Klopp's going to probably want to try to do something different, look for a new challenge. And Steven Gerrard probably needs a little Premier League. I'm just setting this up so he goes to Newcastle. Okay, I'm done because Newcastle sucks. <laughs> well, no, you set this up beautifully anyway, because in our Google Doc of our show, that's my question. That is my question. How long before Gerrard comes in? And essentially, I would imagine because Klopp, Heath Pierce is not going to be manager of Liverpool forever. Steven Gerrard at some point has to take over that one, don't you think? Uh, that's a very good question. I mean, Jurgen Klopp set the bar so high and we haven't seen a ton of success. Ma managing Rangers is basically a one-two fight versus Celtic. Granted, Celtic have been, um, 
you know, uh, unstoppable for the last nine years. I think they won nine titles straight, right? And this stopped them from from hitting that that tenth in a row. Uh, and and rebuilding something is, is really really hard. And and I want to give that respect, but but going into a a Liverpool, a Liverpool, by the way, that people said were going to dominate for four, five, six, seven years straight with the teams that they with the team that they had, the contract status they had, the depth that they had, and to now see them in the situation that they're in, a very difficult club to step into for sure for for a manager. I think he's cut his teeth here. Um, but I don't know. I I would love uh, Luis. What do you think? You think or or Jimmy? Do you think he could step in? That's a huge jump right? It's failure at a Rangers when you don't win the title every year, even when they're rebuilding, right? For the fans, they expect that either you win or, or it's a bust of a season. And, and, um, but going to a Liverpool in the state that it is with the expectations that it is, I don't know. Do you think he could step in right away? I'm, I'm not sure that's the right move uh, for the club or for him at this point in his managerial career. Go ahead, Jimmy. No, I was just going to say, let's use Frank Lampard, his national team teammate, as an example of someone that probably needed to have that stepping stone to get that Premier League experience without necessarily that pressure that you're talking about, Heath. That's why, again, I'm putting my flag on the ground saying, Stephen Gerrard, please come to Newcastle and just, we don't have it, just keep us up. Just, just, if we, if we play pretty, that's great, but, but. You know, we just need to stay up and, and uh, try to have some success a little bit along the way. And I, that would be a nice stepping stone. I'm just using them as an example. But I think Frank Lampard could have used a little bit of that, too, before he jumped into the hot seat that is known as Chelsea, especially given that Roman Abramovich has a trigger finger for his manager. So I, I don't think Steven Gerrard would say no if they approached him, of course, you know, but but uh, I think it would behoove him to, to maybe find that little step before he takes over the Liverpool job. Let's not take anything away from Rangers FC, which is really the beginning of this conversation. That was my fault because we segued into that question. (laughs) But Rangers, congratulations for the Scottish Premiership title. Hey, guess what? Their first game as champions, the old firm against Celtic. So shouldn't that one be fun? Um, All right, let's move on now. Let's really recap the weekend even more. So let's begin, of course, in the Premier League, the Manchester Derby. Olegana Solskjaer wins his third straight derby against Pep Guardiola. Absolutely amazing. A 2-0. A perfect plan, I think, from United's perspective, as Man City loses, finally loses. Unbelievable. Jimmy Conrad, none of us saw this happening. We, we didn't. <laughs> we really didn't. I mean, we knew that it'd be tight, you, but... but you, say, it, you say the perfect game plan, but did they really script... This uh, Gabriel Jesus playing defense all of a sudden out of nowhere and fouling at Martial in the box or not playing defense. Uh, I mean, I, I, it's tough. I, I look at that game and I look at it from a defensive perspective and City had players to make plays on both goals that, that United scored and they got to feel pretty hard done by that they didn't, they didn't get more out of it. They still need to hit the back of the net at the end of the day. They didn't get a goal. So fair play to, to Manchester United for four consecutive draws in, or excuse me, clean sheets in, in the Premier League. And, and I have the stat. I think you guys will like this one. Among the 67 managers that Pep Guardiola has faced more than three times across all competitions as a top flight manager, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is the only one to have beaten him more often than he has lost. He's his bogeyman. It's crazy, right? Because we, yep. we sit here like, we still don't. I, I Honestly, I want to hear from you guys. I still, and maybe the people listening as well, hit us up on Twitter. I still don't know if Ole Gunnar is a good manager. And I just don't know. I, I'm not convinced but then sometimes i am <laughs> i don't know I, I don't he signed bruno fernandez so that's something yep no he though i'll throw it to you yeah i mean first of all who says bruno fernandez can't score against the big six you know against you know <laughs> uh gabriel jesus you know making that argument for him but again 
we, we t- it's weird because we give uh, City all this credit for their ability to solve problems, right? But today was another day. It was just a different curveball that they had to face, and they couldn't do that. And that's where I want to give credit to Manchester United. City against everybody else going down one no probably would have still been able to find a way out, right? A long game, play the game. But they, for long patches, though, they had a lot of possession. There wasn't that usual possession that we saw. This was more earlier when they were getting a lot of draws, not losing a lot, but it just seemed a little bit lacking that rhythm or, or that ability to break down uh, United. And so I, 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 there's been a lot of talk, Jimmy, and, and I agree, of, of is, is Ole Gunnar a good manager? Are they a good team? Are Manchester United in a dip of form, right? And, and I think I, I was listening on the broadcast, and they said his response to that was like, well, only Man City is ahead of us. So, like, what kind of form do you want us to be in when Man City <laughs> are on, like, record-breaking form? We're just behind them. Um, you know, I think they drew three straight or something like that. But, but yeah, I, I, I think there has to be some sort of respect given because if you look on paper, United versus City, City is a, a far better team, um, but they are getting a lot out of, out of this United team. And so I, I do think Ole Gunnar, at least with this club and this time, has found a way to continue to get results. I think we're holding him to the standard of like, yeah, you were in first place at one point. You probably could have been in a title race, but you're not. Um, and, and that's going to get held against him, but ultimately second place at this point in the season, maybe you had your bets on that. If you're a United fan, do you think if somebody said second place at this point in the year, looking at the last couple of seasons, would you take it? Right. I, I, I want to just say two quick things. Uh, both, both of you made two points that I wanted to highlight. One of them was, uh, Jimmy's point about, we don't know the kind of manager Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is. I agree. I mean, I tweeted, I said, listen, the thing is, there, there have been obviously examples of him really just completely failing at trying to really take over a game or and even lose one. But I feel there have been three examples this season where you've seen him like tactically outmanaged his counterpart. Uh, the Real Sociedad game, the RB Leipzig game, and this one. I thought this one was really... Yeah, I agree. I think City are going to lament at the fact that they didn't take enough of their chances. But to uh, Heath's point, which is the second thing I wanted to bring up, it's like... City has done that in the past. They just couldn't do it. And let's, don't take anything away from the strategy where United, uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer put this four front man line, Anthony Martial, Daniel James, Rashford at the beginning, and then Fernandez, just completely pressing. If there was one way that United were going to win this, but just being selective in their press. And they were so good at that. And that's what happened in the second goal with the counter. Dean Henderson to Luke Shaw, he starts to play and finish it. So I think it was a very good victory. Does it mean that they're going to do anything? No, the title's done. Man City has this anyway. I just think that it was a very good performance from United. And Ole Gunnar Solskjaer saw what City's hand was. And he thought, well, I'm going to try and counter you with a counter. And I think that's exactly what happened. Jimmy, additional thoughts on this game? Yeah, I got one. And I think that and I want everybody to think about this at home and you got to, got to write me like a hundred, you know, <laughs> write a little essay for me. No, no, no. I'm just, I'm just kidding. So, so what I want you guys to answer is, and this is what I think, but I'm curious about your thoughts. City losing right now. There was so much hype around this, this winning streak, this, this unbeaten streak. They'd been going since mid November. They hadn't lost and so on and so forth. And, and 21 straight games. And I think now that that's done, you can almost relax a little bit. And then they, they didn't, things didn't go their way. And now I feel like as a, as a manager, Pep can kind of maybe rejuvenate the guys like, Hey, all right, we got this out of our system, especially before the champions league stuff, you know, let's, let's, I wonder if, cause at some point, as that continue that hype continue to grow? It just would have been, that's all the focus would have been on all the time. And I think it would have taken them away a little bit from, from them trying to win. Obviously they're still in the conversation to win four trophies, but, but I don't know. I, I wonder sometimes getting a loss, isn't the worst thing 
especially for a team who, who can be beat at times, but maybe this is a wake-up call. Yeah, and they have a very uh, quick game to, to come up very fast uh, against Southampton midweek as well. So they'll have uh, uh, just a few days now before they can rectify that. Heath, any final thoughts on this uh, Manchester derby and, and what it means for United, to be perfectly honest? Because, you know, put some respect on OGS's name for this one. Yeah, I think, you know, they're in second place, right? Uh, here's my thought, though. They're still, I think, 10 games left in the Premier League season and a nine-point gap. I don't think City will drop that, but, you know, in terms of like needing basically United to win out or, or Leicester to win out to, to, to be in that comp- competition, but it's not a huge gap. And, and to counter Jimmy's point, what, what happens when you actually just believe the luck that like, you know, you create your own luck when you're on that momentum. What happens when that luck goes the wrong way? Um, again, they have enough quality that they have individual uh, playmakers that can win on any, any given day, even when they play poorly. But, you know, I, I, I am curious about that. And that, you know, my final thought is that the, the race is still nine points, but if you can drop a, a game like that in the next 10, one, two, three of those with, with the schedule that city has, maybe, maybe we find it a five point race uh, in, in, in a month from now. Yeah, that's cute. Now, City's winning this. It's fine. <laughs> I just Sorry, think- guys. I was trying to create a little hype here. You, oh, know, no, just, you know, we get it. <laughs> it's just a blip. It's what I think. But but no, it's, it's a fair argument. It's not impossible. But uh, let's keep going with the Premier League because I wanted to finish because we have so many games, everybody, uh, in other leagues in Europe. Uh, quickly, Burnley tied Arsenal. I'm sure HP is happy about that one. <laughs> Southampton won 2 nothing against Sheffield United. Aston Villa and Wolves drew nil-nil. Leicester City came back from one nothing down to beat Brighton 2-1. West Brom and Newcastle uh, nil-nil. Again, uh, Jimmy is probably half happy about it because of the injuries to Newcastle, to be perfectly honest. Uh, let's not stay in Newcastle. Uh, we will talk about it later. But I wanted to really focus. Tottenham beats Crystal Palace 4-1. Watch uh, Gareth Bell, by the way, once again scoring. And Harry Kane with a brace. His first goal ridiculous please make sure that you watch it there are two games on monday i wanted to just focus jimmy on fulham beating liverpool liverpool's here what i want to talk about sixth straight loss at home uh yes the injuries are an issue but my god six straight loss at home they are now eighth right uh Above Villa, who are ninth, but Villa have two games in hand. Liverpool, the defending champion right now, looking like probably Champions League next season, unless they win it, it's kind of difficult. What, what do you make of this? Yeah, I don't, I don't even know what to say about Liverpool. I'm going to further your stats, though. Liverpool have lost uh, each of their last six home games, as you mentioned, but uh, this is the first season they've suffered six home league defeats just for a whole season since 1953-1954. Uh, that's when they finished bottom that season and also the last campaign in which they were relegated. So <laughs> I don't know. They're not going to get relegated, obviously, but that's not a fun stat to be linked to, I think, with regard to Liverpool. There's something going on mentally. I think they're tired. I think that they have been papering over the cracks. I've used that phrase before when when discussing them in the past, and I think it continues to show. They're just not firing on that whole cylinder. And what On all cylinders, excuse me. And, and when Jurgen Klopp came out, this past week and said in the, in the media that if people don't want to be here because we're not in the Champions League or whatever, then they can leave. And I thought that was a really, if you look at the underlying message, it seems, I feel like, I don't know if he's doing it on purpose, but 
it seems like he's setting everybody up to like, we're not, we're not good enough to qualify for Europe. Whether he's trying to send that subliminal message to the ownership group, just to let them know, Hey, listen, we just don't have the squad sending it to his group. Hey, we're just not strong enough, whatever it is. Or if he's just trying to convince himself, whatever, I just, I found that interesting for him to come out and say that at this point in the season when they're still fighting for things. So I don't know. That felt like a bit of a concession in some ways and, and Fulham to their credit. I don't want to take anything away from them. They came out and tried to punch Liverpool in the face. They sense the vulnerable team. They're, they're playing very well right now and they might find themselves out of the relegation zone here pretty quick, but, but um, yeah, there's something going on with Liverpool and, and even, even Jurgen Klopp came out and said, if I knew how to hit the switch overnight, I'd do it. And I think it's just going to take a miracle. So he's using these really big statements to talk about this season. And it's an interesting place and an interesting words that he's choosing to use. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, well done to Fulham. You, you said they're, they're even on points with Brighton, just uh, in the relegation zone, purely on goal difference. So, you know, things are looking up for them. By the way, uh, before I ask Keith his thoughts on Liverpool, they still have to play United. Uh, they got to play, you know, uh, Arsenal, Villa. You know, I, I say Villa because we beat them 7-2, so. Uh, <laughs> okay, here we go. <laughs> but, you know, obviously this is Liverpool, the defending champion, Heath. But to Jimmy's point, there's something going on. And I, I know that it's been a very difficult season. Injuries, external circumstances away from the pitch. But this is amazing to me. I mean, the goal that they conceded, Mohamed Salah didn't even look bothered. I mean, he, obviously he was bothered, but he just, his body language is just, was so defeated. There's something going on here. What do you think? Yeah, I think they rode on luck and momentum for a lot of the year as they went through, I mean, the quality, don't get me wrong. They're the champions, right? I don't want to take away from the quality of them, but they, a lot of things were getting figured out in real time, right? They were building this new plane as they flew it this year, as they went through injuries and that works for a while. And you just sort of like, don't, don't question this. Just keep going. Like it's working, you know, and, and they were able to, to, to hold on for a long time. And then they just kept on losing more and more players. And, and now, I do think they have this very victim's mentality of like, nothing will go our way. Nothing's right. And as soon as that sinks into the mentality of the players, that's, that's dangerous. That's really dangerous when the players just sort of be like, Oh, it's a write off of a season. And I didn't, I didn't read the context of, of, um, or, or listen to the context of which uh, Jurgen Klopp came out and said that I did. I did see the quote that he had about if they don't want to, you know, if they only want to be here to play, you know, whatever champions league, um, then, then they can leave or if we're not playing Champions League. I didn't see the context around that, so I don't know where, where, where it all started or came from or if he was probed into that question. But I do think there is a mentality that's missing that. They've had this demand of success around them, and they've all been part of this project. And the project has worked. The project hasn't not worked. And now they're having to see when the project's not working, right? And this is, again, I, I, I equate this to when, when you have Mourinho ball uh, in a sense where when it's working, nobody questions it, right? It's working. It's great. It's good. You don't question, even if it's rough or it's, it's, it's tough scheduling, the style of play is not attractive and whatever. And then when it's not working, you start to, that little bit of doubt comes in of like, I don't want to play like this. I don't want to chase the ball. I don't want to gig and press. I don't want to, you know, and you start to have egos come to life. Right. And balancing those egos the, the manager at the highest level is about managing egos. It's not managing the quality. Yeah. There's tactics and all these things, but that many stars you're managing egos. And as soon as you have one, two, three of them, and I don't know who they are, um, whether it's because of injury or because of um, attitude, there is some sort of poison right now within this group that there, the belief isn't there. 
Uh, I don't necessarily think it's Jurgen Klopp versus the players, but certainly he's he's starting to poke uh, poke and prod uh, to to get this uh, to come to life. And again, maybe some of those comments are taken out of context in the media right now, but but I do think. He, he is like kind of going deeper and deeper into his well of thoughts and ideas of what's going to get these guys back to life to, to get results. Yeah. Yeah. Jimmy, final thoughts, because it is a really, in, like you said, it's a really interesting comment from Klopp to say that. I'm not, you know, I wonder if it's uh, something that's been triggering around the training ground. I don't know. I don't know. It's just, it's been very weird. And, and uh, you know, the stat speaks for themselves. Liverpool right now in a position of no Champions League football next year, uh, unless they win it, of course. I, yeah, I don't think they're getting there. So if you're a Liverpool fan, we're just if you want a hug, we, we can offer those to you at some point, a virtual hug or in real life when we ever see you guys and cross paths. You're not going to qualify for Europe this season. I don't even know if you're going to finish top six. Right. And that's going to be a bitter pill, pill, pill Excuse me, for you guys to swallow. I will say you have a big game this midweek against RB Leipzig. You have a very precarious 2-0 lead, we, as we've seen uh, countless times in, in all leagues. That's not a very good lead to have sometimes. They didn't start a full team. The normal team, right? Fabinho didn't start. Mane didn't start. Trent Alexander-Arnold didn't start. But Diego Jota got a start, which is nice. Shakiri uh, was on the other side. And then Mo Salah was the false nine. Uh, Kaita came in. Milner. I mean, they just had, you know, different guys in the team. And obviously with an eye on looking, making sure they get past RB Leipzig. But that, I feel like we saw in the past, the Heath's point, that the system was so good and so strong, it didn't matter what the lineup was over the last few seasons prior to this one. They always got a result. They always had some swagger about them, some attitude, some confidence. And right now, if Fulham can come in and kind of punch you in the face and knock you around at, at Anfield, uh, you're definitely, something's not right. And, and I think they can't wait for this season to end. That's really what Liverpool needs. Liverpool just needs this season to end so they can all relax and take a breath and then get re-energized for the next season. Luis, the last thing I would say, by the way, is there were long periods that Fulham had Liverpool pinned back, like legitimately attacking with numbers. It looked reversed. Um, and, and it's just not something I'm used to seeing, right? I, I'm used to like, they had literally had them pinned back with numbers where they just couldn't seem to get out of their own half uh, for periods. And normally that's not something uh, that you see. And, and that was one of the things I took away from, from, from the match today. Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. All right, everybody, stick around because we have so much more to discuss. And we're going to answer your questions at the end of the episode. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, that classic really lived up to its billing. Stay right here. Kego Lasso. We'll be right back. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Hey everybody, welcome back to Kego Lasso Weekend Recap. Jimmy Conrad, Heath Pierce. We are now moving to Germany. Their classicer Bundesliga action. My God, it did not disappoint. Bayern Munich wins this one. Uh, just unbelievable game here. First, Erlen Haaland gets those two goals. You think, well, wow, Borussia Dortmund looking good. And then here comes Bayern Munich, as we always say. They come back, uh, Robert Lewandowski does his thing, and they end up winning their Classicer uh, to the score of 4-2. Lewandowski just, 
I, I don't know what to say, guys. Unbelievable. Jimmy Conrad, talk to me about this game. Well, I'm going to start with me hitting my bet. If you guys remember from yeah. Thursday's preview, I said Lewandowski to score, both teams to score, Bayern Munich to win. Uh, I was I was sweating that one for a little bit till you know once Lewandowski scored his first, and I thought, all right, I think they. You were sweating that bet. Oh, I was no. Well, after it was down 2-0, I was I was a little worried. Not that Lewandowski wouldn't score, but that that Bayern would go on to win. I, I still didn't know. I mean, Dortmund started so strong, I thought they would be able to hold on, but that obviously was not the case. And and I just wondered, I actually tweeted it out. I wonder what Lewandowski is thinking right at this moment after Erling Holland scored a second. Like, I want to know what he's thinking right now. And clearly he said, I'm just going to go smash this punk kid. I don't care who he is. And I'm going to score three because I'm Robert Lewandowski and you're not. And I can't say enough about Bayern Munich. It's interesting. Their last, let's say 20 minutes of the game, they were so dominant. It reminded me of when Man City decided to turn it up against Wolves in the last 10 or 15 minutes and scored three as well. I want to see that Man City for 15 minutes and that Bayern Munich for 15 minutes go up against each other. It'd be like eight, eight over, you know, 20. It's just unbelievable how good those guys are when they can turn it on. Obviously city didn't do it uh, today, but, but uh, I really want to see Bayern Munich man city in the champions league, but I don't want to take anything away from Borussia Dortmund. They're so close to being really, really good, but they're lacking some consistency. And they, I look at them almost similarly to, to Liverpool. Like, I don't know exactly what it is because on paper they should be better. Is it just because, they got some, maybe some slow center backs or they're missing a piece. I think Axel Witzel's not playing actually hurts them quite a bit. We never, we don't talk about him after he got hurt for the season. So, so that he misses that, but then with Bayern Munich, God, those guys are so good and uh, they're really fun to watch. And I think we were really uh, treated to something special. Yeah, absolutely. I think Borussia Dortmund's defensive line just needs to uh, vamp up a little bit, just completely rechange itself. It's a little too old. I think a little too slow. Um, not to take anything away from them. It's just when you play Bayern, that's what's going to happen. HP, what'd you make of this game? Uh, Bayern Munich just doing their thing. Yeah, look, there was no Jaden Sancho. There was no Gio Reyna. Uh, when I look at the lineup, I, I think you're right. I think there's, when, they, when they're firing on the attack, they always seem to be vulnerable on the defense. And then when they, when they play more defensive, they don't seem to have much firepower outside of Holland, who brings them most of their attack anyway. But when you look across Thomas Delaney, no pace, Emery Chan, no pay, no pace, Matt Hummels uh, aging uh, good to see Munier's back and healthy again. But yeah, it, it's one of those ones where you see those flashes. And, and I think Jimmy actually said it really well there, which is like, they are so close. And, and I, and I said it last week on our recap, which is like, I just want them in the title race because you see it, you see something there and it's just these stretches, you know, when you sometimes when you go into tactical games, you talk about like, can we put together a good performance for longer stretches, right? Because there's an ebb and flow of every game where you're dominating and then you're up against the wall, you're settling in all these different things, as we know, that go into a game. And those stretches, you just want them to be longer where they're good, where they're consistent, where they don't shut up. There's not individual errors and, and they're as a unit and you can see they are close to to something. But I mean, Bayern Munich are unbelievable. I think, I think Lewandowski is on, you know, it's like one of these things where it's like the up and comer and uh, is Holland. He scores his couple. And then Lewandowski's like, you know, this is the old boys club, you know, like I'm you like, just wait. And, and, and shows him what, what a, a true like hall of fame goal scorer is versus somebody who's got a lot of potential. And now he's on pace, I think to break uh, Mueller's record potentially at 38 or 39 goals in a season um, after, after his goals this weekend. So yeah, it's, the, the, the crazy part in the Bundesliga, by the way, is that RB Leipzig are still two points off of Bayern Munich. Yeah. And I don't know. I was hoping that Jimmy would hit me with a stat of how many times Bayern have had to come from behind to get results this, this season. Um, but it, it's a lot of times they've had these wake-up calls. We've talked about it multiple times where they just go down and they go, okay, 
it's time to play. And then they just crank it up and maybe that's the motivator. And that could be a dangerous game against, you know, deep in the champions league, but it works in the Bundesliga. Uh, though I do want to give credit to Leipzig who are still in this title race. Yeah, I think Borussia Dortmund fans will be a little upset at us if we don't mention the fact that it was 2-0 for a very long time. Holland comes off in the 60th minute, right? And obviously things become a little bit more complicated for Borussia Dortmund, even though Bayern is dominating, but when you don't have your best player on the pitch, things become a little bit trickier. And then it's not till way later, the 88th minute, I believe, is when suddenly they get that lead and then another one in the 90th um, with the penalty. So, Jimmy, you know, it wasn't... So far off, I wonder what the game would have looked like if Haaland was there the entire game. Do you still think Bayern Munich would have taken this anyway? I do. I do. I think they had a lot of the possession. I think they were dictating a lot of the terms. I think that Bruce Dortmund came out with the right energy. And to Heath's point, they need to figure out how to be a good team for 90 minutes, not just 45 minutes, not just 60 minutes. And I think that lends itself to some of the youth, right? I think you see that a lot with youth. Like, well, I proved myself over. I scored two goals. Not necessarily I'm pointing right at Erling Holland, but there's a lot of players think, oh, we're, we're good. We, we, we did it. We just slapped around the, the reigning European champions. What's, you know, what else do we have left to prove? But it's a 90 minute game. It's not a 45 minute one. And so they do have uh, some work to do and they do have some recruiting to do. So it'll be interesting to see what the summer looks like for Bruce Dortmund. There is one stat though I have for you, Heath. You're going to love this one. Uh, Robert Lewandowski has scored 31 goals after 24 games in the Bundesliga. That would have already been the best goal scorer in 52 of all the past 57 Bundesliga seasons. <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> what? Is the, how old is that guy? You're supposed to get you're slower at, after 30. This guy just like, continues to get better with age. Not only him, you got, you know, Ronaldo still getting better after 30 or 35. Messi, uh, Kareem Benzema scoring some goal, you know, having some impact and still being influential. Anyway, I just throw those, those names. No, out it's there, amazing. Lewandowski it's, just, it's a really incredible. This the guy, year. Yeah. The guy's incredible. The guy's incredible. He's By the in- way, Bo- Boateng went out with an injury that looks bad. Uh, and that's my only worry for Bayern is that, you know, he is a rock in that, in that back line. Um, I don't know what the diagnosis of it was, but you know, it, it didn't look good. Yeah, that's a, that's a worry uh, for sure. Uh, and by the way, uh, a shout out to Leroy Sané, who I thought was mm-hmm, really, mm-hmm. really good. All right, let's keep going here because we said this a lot. So we're going to continue. La Liga, a lot going on in Spain, by the way. As we're taping, it should be pretty much confirmed that Joan Laporta will be the president of Barcelona, by the way. He, according to polls by TV3 in Catalonia, he has nearly 60% of the votes. Uh, that should be confirmed. As you hear this, I'm sure it'll be official. Laporta, of course, who was president back when Messi actually started in the first team. Uh, he was actually responsible for Ronaldinho's entrance to the club, I believe. Uh, but he also left because of financial difficulties. So now his whole thing is, listen, Messi's family trusts me more than anybody. I can make sure that he stays, et cetera. So if Laporta indeed becomes a president, you know, that should be good news uh, for some Barcelona fans. We will see what happens because obviously you can clearly see that the vote is about making sure, aside from the 1 billion euro debt, and uh, making sure that Messi stays. So we'll see what happens there. But all in all, uh, boys, Jimmy Conrad, Barcelona had a good week, uh, a great comeback in Copa del Rey to make it to the final. They beat Osasuna. Uh, Messi played so well, obviously. A young star of theirs as well also scored. And Atleti and Real Madrid tied. So that's fantastic for them. So all in all, really good, Jimmy, for Barcelona. And you can include, of course, your thoughts on the Madrid derby right there. Yeah, what a week for them. You know, as much turmoil as they have been uh, surrounded in or swimming in or whatever you want to say, 
they have been pretty good. And, and Ronald Koeman is is pressing a lot of the right buttons. And yes, they might not always play as a, as aesthetically pleasing as we've seen them in the past. The Pep Guardiola get the ball, pass the ball, tiki taka. But but they are effective. And I think what Ronald Koeman will hopefully get credit for at some point is really bringing along these younger players. Uh, Pedri had over 100 touches in the game. Like there's some really incredible stats about how influential these younger players are playing. And, um, you know, Mar- uh, was it Marais? What's his name? The, young- the youngster scored today. Yeah, Marais, yeah. Yeah, his first ever goal for Barcelona. That guy looks like a player. You got Ansu Fati and you got Trincao. I mean, Frankie de Jong's already Ansu Fati. It's just it's sick. These guys are going to be good. So it might be a nice little transition, but Ronald Koeman de- definitely deserves some, some praise for that. Now, with regard to the M- Madrid derby, I watched every single minute of it. And I thought the 1-1 was a fair result. And I saw that Saul came out or Koke came out and said that, oh, we dominated the game. I was like, ah, I don't know. We were watching the same game, dude. I thought that Real Madrid did a very good job of taking what Atleti was giving them, which was the wide space. They whipped in so many crosses. And obviously, Atleti are going to defend those very well with their own center backs. And then obviously with one of the best goalkeepers in the world and Jan Oblak. I thought Benzema was very active. But what ended up happening was they tried their hardest Atleti to not let any combinations happen in the middle of the field near around the top of the box and Atleti fouled them a lot around the top of the box I have a lot of issues with their impatience uh defending but that's what ended up happening Castanero makes a good run nice combination with Benzema and and they get a little tap in and make it 1-1 I thought the 1-1 was a fair result Madrid needed that really to stay alive in the title race so that kind of keeps things interesting there but Atleti now we're sensing, I think you're sensing a little bit of vulnerability. They, they only have one game in hand now. We were talking about how they had all these games in hand at the beginning. They had a big 10-point lead or whatever. Now they're only three points above Barcelona with one game in hand. They got Athletic Bilbao midweek. That's going to be their one to make everything even. I don't know if Atleti's going to win the league anymore. I, I think that Barcelona or Real Madrid could, could probably catch them at the end. It's going to be close, though, and that's what I like about La Liga. So it really feels like a proper three-team horse race to the finish. Absolutely. Uh, you know, Atleti, 59 points, played 25. So that, they have that game in hand, as you mentioned. Barcelona, 56 points. Uh, Real Madrid, 54. By the way, April 11, Real Madrid against Barcelona. Mm-hmm. May 9th, Barcelona against Atletico Madrid. Mm-hmm. So things are getting real tight here. Heath Beers, any thoughts on the Madrid derby? Barcelona's amazing week. And just what could happen in the future? No, I think, I think obviously, Atleti still have to play against Sevilla. They've got and they've got Barcelona, right? Real Madrid have Barcelona and uh, uh, they have El- Atletico and May. They have they have El Clasico as well. So every there's still a lot of points that can send these six pointers uh, one way or another to help this three uh, team race. But for yeah, I think I think in the first half, I thought Atleti did did better. I think in the second half, uh, Real Madrid, we saw a little bit of a different team, a little more settled in, a little more dominant. Obviously, I think Atletico are comfortable giving up possession and and, and sitting deeper uh, in the second half, but they looked a little bit more on the front foot. And so I do think a draw uh, makes sense. But overall, you know, uh, with the form that Barcelona are in, Messi had two, two assists over the weekend, obviously on 19 goals uh, in the league. I... Again, we've seen them. We've seen everybody slip up, right? And we've seen the one we didn't see slipping up was Atletico uh, all season long. And now they're starting to chip away at points. Like Jimmy said, they had games in hand and they were nine points clear. And now they're three points clear with a game in hand. They have to play Bilbao twice. Um, but this could be the bounce back where it sort of settles the score. This this next one where they kind of feel a little bit comfortable again to to keep going. But you could see in Luis Suarez's face after the match, there was just this some sort of look to him that was like this was a moment lost. 
And it wasn't just about losing two points. There was just like a momentum. There was like this vulnerability almost look in his face of like, man, it's going to be a long run uh, for the rest of this year if they're going to close this out because now you've let two teams with world-class talent back into the conversation. And I'll tell you what, after every single game, Atleti better wrap Luis Suarez in bubble wrap and not let him get in because if they lose him to injury, forget about it because he is the X factor. He is the main reason why Atleti are doing so well offensively. Of course, Joao Felix is good, but he's no Luis Suarez. Uh, so that's going to be key. And obviously what's going to be key is, you know, what happens in the Champions League, et cetera, et cetera, and how many more games need to be added to the schedule. All right. Serie A. Italy, Juventus beat Lazio without needing, by the way, Cristiano Ronaldo for the entire game, which is good news for them as they obviously uh, look ahead to the Champions League as well. They win 3-1. AC Milan win as well. Inter play Atalanta on Monday. Uh, but all is as this. So the, uh, the good thing for uh, Juventus and Andrea Pirlo, Jim, is that, you know, sometimes you can just let Ronaldo chill for a little bit uh, and see what can happen. I wonder if... Things can go uh, either way for either AC Milan or Juventus or, or Inter really just has to continue to focus on themselves and take care of business. What do you think? Yeah, I like Inter all the way. I think Milan played well this weekend to get the results. Uh, I watched uh, those highlights in a part of the game when I had the chance to do so. And Helios Verona is not easy to beat, especially at, uh, at home. And I thought they went out and did the job. Sometimes I wonder if they're better with or without Zlatan. Bigger conversation for another time. Rafael Leao is very busy up top. I really like his game a lot. But some, some unlikely scores for them. Guys that never play. I don't know if you guys saw Krunic's, uh, Krunic's, or Krunic's um, free kick, but it's ridiculous. So, so take a look at that if you guys get a chance to see the highlights. What I'll say, I got a fun fact for you guys. I always have these for you. AC Milan are the fourth side to have picked up 100-plus points in the top five European leagues since January 1st, 2020. Only after Man City, Bayern Munich, and Real Madrid. So that's pretty good company for Stefano Pioli and, and, a, and a team that I still feel like is, well, at one point was looking for their identity for a good portion of that, that year. So fair play to Milan for really good. That said, I don't think they're going to catch Inter. I think Inter have too much momentum, too much belief. I, I think they've got a, a, a nice sense about them. And, and uh, if they can do the business uh, on Monday, then then they should be good. Juve, though, to your point, Luis, I thought was was excellent. I thought Chiesa in particular was He's very so good. good. So good uh, against Lazio. And, and what I really liked was the fact that Lazio scored first, and it was a giveaway. Kulisevsky gave away a bad ball, and that led to Joaquin Correa to go in and score a very good goal. But the fact that Juve fought back and, and, and had that spirit and energy without having to rely on their magical talisman, Cristiano Ronaldo, I think speaks wonders and, and, and says a lot about the depth that they have. Uh, Rabio was good. Ramsey was good. A lot of guys stepped up that maybe haven't had the opportunity to really fill that leadership and responsibility role in a meaningful way. And, and that's if you're going to win any, any, any trophy of consequence, you need your guys that don't necessarily step up to step up sometimes. And we've seen it right now with Real Madrid, with Casemiro. You know, all of a sudden, you know, anytime they do win, sometimes Casemiro pops in. You're like, you never count on Casemiro to do that. But these, so these guys, I'm using him as an example, have to step up as well. That's, that's how you win a title. A lot of people have to chip in. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, with Napoli winning today, by the way, 3-1, that means Lazio goes 7th, Napoli 6th, Atalanta 5th, who play Inter Milan. And to your point, Inter lead Serie A with uh, 59 points, AC Milan 56, Juventus 52. So it's still kind of tight, Heath Pierce, but I think... Uh, the narrative will begin to just uh, cement itself, as they say, as Inter probably look good because they don't have anything else to worry about. Yeah, I agree. And and obviously, 
if you're Milan, and I don't know if AC Milan are rotating their squad because of their busy schedule or if they're tinkering because I, I, there hasn't been when they've been good, they've, they've still been tinkering, but they, and they've had a somewhat consistent lineup, but there's, it's good to see that they got a result uh, this weekend. Obviously, as, as, as Jimmy said, without, without Zlatan is, is a different conversation, uh, but it's allowing other players to step up. And then when you look at Juventus, uh, Alvaro Morata, that's one that I want to, uh, to point out of just, again, when you talk about depth of being able to get results, knowing that we, we talked about, I, I want to say if it, I don't remember who we who we were talking about last weekend on needing rest. I don't know what team and what league we were talking about, how they're not getting any rest for their players, but this is one where you're actually managing. You got to manage the roster. You, you come into a game like this, you're playing against Lazio. It's a very difficult result. And your mindset is we have to win this. Right. And to have that maturity, um, from Pirlo to be able to rotate the squad. Granted, they have they have world class depth, but your instinct is to play your best team, right? Because you you are sort of chasing the title. You want to stay in it, but to be able to rotate some guys out uh, like their best player in Weston McKinney, uh, having to sub him in later on. That was a joke, guys. Weston McKinney's not their best player. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, I I think that's a sign of maturity for for a young manager to be able to be willing to do that. You know, resting Ronaldo is one thing because you know you have to you ha- you got to like manage the miles he puts on. But but rotating a squad uh, against a, a team that's very capable of beating you, uh, I think, is a sign of maturity for Pirlo. Yeah, I think we were talking about Bruno Fernandes last time around about resting him and me. That's the one. Uh, but, you know, he scored a goal today, so maybe he doesn't need to rest. Um, all right, we, uh, we're going to end this one. Well done, everybody. We, we're doing this under an hour. We just went round Europe under an hour. So proud of you. So proud of you all. All right, we're going to finish it with some questions. First of all, from our friend, John Morosi, a great guy, uh, fan of the show, broadcaster, of course, uh, loves his Italian football. And he's asking, let's begin with you, Jimmy. He's asking, uh, with, uh, because you know, we're ending with Serie A, with Lukaku, uh, Lautaro, Varela, uh, De Vries, and uh, Bastoni all under contract beyond this season, is Inter poised to become the Serie A favorite for the next two years? Or are their key players benefiting from the lighter workload without European football the last three months? First of all, John, they haven't won anything yet, so just slow your roll. All right, my friend. But Jimmy, what do you think? What do you think about uh, the question from John? Okay, there's a lot of layers here. Hi, John. Uh, I'm going to say that uh, first and foremost, I want to see how Inter Milan play against Atalanta tomorrow because Atalanta are in terrific form. And and Inter didn't look great against Parma midweek, but they did enough. They had some good individual performances to win 2-1. Another sign of a potential champion. I'm going to air quotes around potential. I think they're going to do it, John, so if that makes you feel any better. However, it does help that they have a lighter workload, that that a manager like Antonio Conte, who's so detail-oriented, has a whole week to prepare for games as opposed to, oh, wow, I got to go midweek to take on Red Star Belgrade. And then after that, I can start concentrating on the week's games. Like that just throws you off. And obviously you got to take all the periodization uh, into consideration in terms of getting guys proper rest. What are they doing when they get that rest? So they're like, you know, massages, all that type of stuff. You know, what kind of, what are they doing in the recovery mode? So there's a lot to take into consideration. And I think because they don't have to worry about that, uh, that, that lends itself to them being a, or having an advantage. Whether they take advantage of that, that's something different, obviously, and they got to play the games to figure it out. With regard to your signings, I think that Antonio Conte could sense that this was a good season to, to win the league, and he went out and signed old guys to make sure he got there, right? He went and got Kolarov, uh, Arturo Vidal, uh, brought Perisic back from Bayern Munich. Like, he, he got guys that know how to play and win games. 
And, and I think that was really important. Now, moving forward, they've obviously shown with Bastoni and Barella, they got some younger players that can play as well. Hakimi's very young too, as, as well. Lataro's not very old. That, and Lukaku could be a guy you build around. So you have this nice nucleus that I think will attract other players to come. So if Inter go on and win the Scudetto this season, I could really see other people being like, oh, what, that, Inter's kind of where I want to play. There's a nice vibe about that team. You start to build that buzz, and then all of a sudden you get all these other players, and yeah, you could you could go on a nice little run. But given the, the success of Juve in uh, Serie A, I just – you know, they're going to recharge at some point and get it going. And so it should be competitive. I think that's all we wanted, right? The same thing we saw with Rangers and Celtic and all these other leagues. You just want it to be competitive. And that's what I think we want out of Serie A. Heath, what do you think? Good stuff there, uh, Jimmy. What, what, what do you make of it? That was a lot of layers by Jimmy. I'm going to go, I'm going to go with uh, a couple layers only. Um, I think Liverpool is the example of a team that was set up again, like I mentioned earlier, to win multiple years. There's certain things you can control and you can't control. I don't think Inter Milan is deep enough right now to, to manage um, what their new ambition will be, right? Their new ambition won't be, oh, we won the league, let's win the league next year, Champions League, let's hope to get out of the group stages. You are now the champions of Serie A. You are expected, like Juve, to set the same standard and goals to go and try to win European trophies as well. And when you have a Lukaku at the front, the attention around that means the, the bar gets set higher next year. And I don't think they have the team to, to, to do that necessarily, though I do think they will be one of the favorites. I don't think this is a Leicester City one-off year where they kind of dangle around in the top four for a few years and, and after winning one. I do think that they can challenge. But again, uh, Juve, who apparently need to shed wages, have the ability at any time to, to be good for long stretches. And then AC Milan, maybe, maybe less so, uh, with their current roster. So I do think that they're a one, one or two uh, for the next multiple years, but, but um, they're, they're certainly gearing up for what I think could be a longer run. If they do have a few more strategic signings as well, that give them uh, depth in the way that we thought um, that, that, you know, we, we thought that uh, Liverpool were going to have with some of their signings this year. What great answers, John, you can't complain Two great. An- I'll be super simple. Yes, they're doing well because they're not <laughs> in the Champions League and they're not in the Europa League and it's a lighter load. I think it's a totally different story next season. All right, we got one more question here before we say goodbye. And that's from Ant FC. I like it. Ant FC. I like it. Is Luke Shaw, Jimmy and Heath. Let's go with you first, Jimmy. Is Luke Shaw the most underrated player in the Premier League? He says, I say yes. Oh, I got my own to tell you in a second. But Jimmy, what do you think? Is Luke Shaw the most underrated player in the Premier League? Well, I'll say Alex Tellis is the most underrated player because he's the one that's actually motivated Luke Shaw to get his act together. So let's just start there. (laughs) I I will say that I think that uh, Jack Relish deserves a shout. I don't know if anybody had these high expectations. I think Cancelo and Gundogan from Man City probably deserve a shout. Ruben Diaz. Uh, I think those guys are obviously, maybe they're not uh, yeah, underrated per se, but I think coming into the season, they were. Uh, I do want to give a shout out to Dominic Calvert-Lewin. I think he's really emerged. Um, uh, Patrick Bamford is another one that I think deserves some praise. So it's it's really tough. I'm, I'm kind of just trying to decide on which one I really want to highlight. So I'm now going to pass the mic to somebody else while I figure it out. Well, before I say it to Heath, it's very difficult, the word underrated in itself, because what does that mean? Like, are we talking about somebody that we had no idea was going to be this good? Or are we talking about somebody who deserves to be named in a sort of, uh, you know, world class sort of platform? They, they're good, but they really should be talked about more. What do you think, Heath? Is Luke Shaw the most underrated player in the Premier League? Or do you have somebody that really needs to be talked about more? I'm pretty sure Luke Shaw just scored his second goal 
uh, today. <laughs> Against uh, so, so, Yeah, I agree. It's, it's a huge, it's a huge moment. Uh, I, uh, for sure. So maybe that would put you closer to the traditional kind of underrated category. Uh, James Ward Prowse, I think is one for yeah. me that Ooh, I think is underrated. One. He's part of that era of like uh, specialists. You don't have a lot of specialists anymore where it's like draw foul near the box because we, we have a chance to, to, to score anytime he's got his foot on it type of thing. Um, uh, Bamford is another one that I had in mind too, that I, that I really like those, those would be the, the, the couple that, that I would say are, are underrated, but again, the, the, you have to set parameters on, on underrated because I would also say Gareth Bale was overrated so long that now he's underrated, right? Now he's <laughs> underrated. The expectations were nothing, uh, when he arrived by week. People gave him three, four games and they were like, Oh, he's done. And now he's underrated. Now he's, now he's delivering where he's best underrated. Exactly. It's like our podcast has always been underrated, but really we're, we're actually meeting the standards of what we are. Which is <laughs> uh, Jimmy, final thoughts, by I the way. I got it. I got it. I'm going no. with Thomas Suchek from West Ham. Oh, very good. West, West, Ham, West Ham have no business, in my opinion, being as close to the top four as they are. He's got eight goals and four assists from a holding midfield position. Without him, they wouldn't even be in the conversation. So very good. Our friend James Benj will like that one. Uh, he, he will totally like that one. Um, no, the correct answer is Esri Konza and FC. Esri. What about what? I thought you were going to go with uh, Emiliano Martinez. No, he's not underrated. We already know how amazing he is. Like, I'm just glad you took Graylish before he could, Jimmy. I appreciate that. Jack Grealish is not underrated. He's incredible. Although we've always thought that he may be underrated by people that don't know the game. That's a different conversation. So FC, I hope you got your answer there. I think Tommy Suchik is the right answer, actually. I think that's a good one. That's a good one. I like that. All right, everybody. That was our weekend recap. And by the way, it's official. Juan Laporta is the new president of Barcelona. Uh, best, best of luck to him. <laughs> best of luck to him, indeed. Final thoughts before we say goodbye, Jimmy Conrad. No, I hope everybody had a good weekend, and I hope you're buckling your seatbelts because we have a huge Champions League and Europa League week coming up. Absolutely. Heath Pierce. Yeah, my last note is that Inter Milan also, when the world goes back to normal and the nightclubs open in Milan, will also be an issue in terms of them trying to repeat. Uh, you know, the temptation is not there right now, and that's hard to do. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. And actually, I would say that to all clubs, uh, including Leeds United, by the way. West Yorkshire at night. Ooh, watch out. <laughs> Jimmy, thank you so much, brother. Thank you. Heath, thank you, my man. Thanks for having me. Hey, everybody. I want to thank Jimmy Conrad and Heath Pierce for joining me today. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Pod, and keep sending us questions and tweets on Pod. We love to hear from you. We're also on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, CBSSports.com. Keep supporting the show. It's the best way for us to grow. We got the Champions League coming back with the second leg of the round of 16. So stick around with us every single weekday. Have a great, great beginning to your week.